Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you another thrilling episode of Monday Madness on May 10th, 2021. Our student audience has to be absolutely stoked as many of them are finishing up their last finals this week if they aren't finishing them up in the next day or two. Special shout-outs to Gunnar Merrick and Neil Snow here at Rep Petro for getting through what I imagine was one of the most frustrating academic years in recent history. Zoom University just doesn't sound that fun. But you didn't come here to listen to me brag about Rep Petro's incredibly talented and well-educated team. You came here for the hottest news and statistics that the industry has to offer in that past week, so here we go. We will kick things off with WTI pricing. As I wrote the script for this episode, the price was about $64.44. Sunday through Monday morning teased us with a price of $65.50, but quickly plummeted after 6am this morning. Although nobody likes to see a big dollar dip, I'm still confident we can break through that $65 ceiling that we seem to keep bouncing off of. I don't know if you caught it, but last Monday's WTI price closed at $66.23 before spending the rest of the week at a rather stable $65 pricing point. Isn't it strange how all the headlines reflect the world's efforts to incorporate more green technology and practices into their daily lives, yet the price somehow continues to climb? Really, I don't say that to gloat, I just want to highlight the growing negative sentiments surrounding the market. Even in the final quarter of 2020, we had people predicting $50 to $55 barrels in 2021, and we already smashed that. That's not just Joe Schmo's prediction, that was Russian Energy Minister Alexander Novak. Ultimately, it is good to see the price testing new ceilings, and I'm excited to see where we are next week, because I think any day now, we will hit that $66 pricing point for more than 48 hours, and I think that could be the start of something extraordinary. Next up, the rig count. The U.S. added 8 rigs to its total throughout last week, bringing it to 448 rigs, or up 74 rigs on the year. The Permian exhibited some strange behavior over the past two weeks, as it would lose a rig here or there, or show no change at all. This week, it is back on track, as it has added 5 rigs to bring the total to 229. The next best growth we saw was in the Haynesville Shale, who was able to add 4 rigs to their total, bringing them up to 49. Between the Permian and the Haynesville, Texas has seen plenty of growth, but what of the third member of that Texas trifecta? That's right, I'm talking about that little field in the south, the Eagleford. That field has had a great past couple of weeks, as it would add a rig here and there, or maintain its total. Unfortunately, the streak of good luck ends for the Eagleford as it loses a rig. Sad, I know, but still a great week for the state of Texas. Outside of the Texas, New Mexico, and Louisiana area, not much else happened. We did see another rig go up in the Marcellus, but otherwise we saw lots of zeros across the board. Still, plus eight is a great week for the national rig count, and I feel badly for doubting the Permian's abilities in last week's episode. Clearly, Texas is doing something right, and I'm excited to see increasing activity. As for what types of rigs went up, we saw an increase of 10 horizontal, but a decrease of two vertical. Lastly, our domestic inventories. We've been seeing big builds and measly draws for two months now. The biggest build we saw was more than 21 million barrels back in the beginning of March, and the biggest draw we saw was shy of 6 million barrels. Fortunately, we have good news this week from both the API and the EIA. The API's most recent report shows a draw of about 7.7 million barrels when they predicted 2.2, and the EIA reported very similar numbers with an 8 million barrel draw when they predicted 2.3. I'm excited to see numbers like this, but we aren't in the clear yet. 
Since those builds in March, we accumulated some 40 million barrels, and so far, the total draws since then have only been about 17 million. Hopefully, we see another draw next week so that we can say we've worked away half of that build, and there are some stories coming up that I think could support another positive week, but first we'll want to talk about some of our refined products before getting into our news stories. Both gasoline and propane saw almost insignificant builds, leaving them in the bottom third region of the range of the past five years of pricing. No big swinging changes there, but dissolute stocks continued to take a bit of a nosedive, which is historically predictable for this time of the year. Even though it dropped another few million barrels, it's sitting about smack dab in the middle of its five-year historic price range. Nothing out of the extraordinary here, but really nice to see another significant draw in crude, and fingers crossed for the next week. But our first story involves a pipeline shutdown. Well, more realistically, a network of pipelines shut down. Colonial Pipeline, or the country's largest fuel pipeline company that services tens of millions in the south and east, was attacked on Friday with ransomware. If you aren't familiar with ransomware, I'm happy for you, but it basically is just a virus that holds your computer hostage. Sometimes people will download something sketchy and on launch, the computer will get locked up and a message will tell you that you can remove the program if you wire someone a certain amount of money, you know, 500, 600, 700, $1,000, whatever, which kind of sucks because not only is your machine rendered useless and you lose the value of that, but what if you have work or important photos on there, stuff that you need? You can see how it's a potentially lucrative business to run if you can call a scam like that a business. That's only if it happens on a small personal level. When it happens to an entire company that services millions of people, the effects can be disastrous. So far, nothing has been resolved, but a third-party cybersecurity firm, law enforcement, and the FBI are now on the case. They have confirmed the hacking group DarkSide is involved, which is an organization that runs a ransomware-as-a-service business model, meaning that if it wasn't DarkSide that carried out the attack initially, it is a customer of theirs for sure. Plenty of statements from both the company and the White House have mentioned that they want to minimize supply disruption, but I haven't found any word on how that will be done so far. The pipeline transports some 2.5 million barrels of gasoline, diesel, heating oil, and jet fuel every day, so the longer this remains unresolved, the more expensive those will get in the southern and eastern markets. This morning, gasoline futures jumped to some of the highest prices they had seen since May of 2018 before being reined back in. Really, this is huge, and I'm surprised I haven't seen more buzz around it. This pipeline network runs from Texas all the way to New Jersey and services around 17 states and D.C. If anything, it highlights the need to modernize the oil field, which, as some of you know, is Rare Petro's creed and core mission. While the magnitude in this situation is huge, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. These things can even be snuck into Excel macros and emailed to the whole company. If even a single person opens the document and enables the macros, the whole organization, or even just its data, could be jeopardized. The oil and gas industry is historically notorious for being behind the curve of cutting-edge tech, but they don't have to be. If you'd like to learn more about security measures revolving around certain technologies, I highly recommend you check out an episode of the Modern Mobile Oil Field series that I conduct with Jeffrey Can. You can find that on rarepetro.com. We always talk about the security issues associated with the use of a certain tech, and at this point, you cannot afford to be illiterate on the subject. If you are, 50% of the East Coast fuel demand can easily be threatened as we see today. Experts predict that this situation will get exponentially worse if it's not resolved by Wednesday, so you'll want to keep your eyes out on this story for sure. Next, we have big news for those of you in Colorado. 
Bonanza Creek and Extraction Oil and Gas have decided to merge as Civitas Resources, an organization that will be valued at $2.6 billion. The combined company will operate across 425,000 acres with a production base of 117,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Too many mergers and acquisitions went down last year because people had to do it. I don't like that. That's a sort of last-ditch effort to turn some cash, but I understand it has to be done sometimes. In this case, however, it is clearly a merger of equals with a common goal, and the metrics of the resulting Civitas resources are astounding. Fun fact, Civitas is apparently the Greek body of citizens and the social contract that binds them all together as each is a civis and ultimately establishes the citizenship. Pretty cool name if that's what they intended. Once the deal is finally completed sometime around Q3, the resulting company plans to be Colorado's first net-zero producer. This leaves Civitas the largest and most responsible pure-play energy producer in the DJ Basin. Not only this, but the synergies afforded by the merger should generate $25 million in savings thanks to reduced capital costs and greater administrative savings. They also have very little debt, $127 million in the bank, and another $651 million in credit to draw on should they choose. Now I could go on and on about this merger, but just know that these companies have great leadership, good balance sheets, and positive intentions, so I'm excited to see where they go from here. Who knows? Perhaps a few more career fairs will be seeing a Civitas Resources booth as they continue to grow as a company in the DJ Basin. I think I'm running out of time for today's episode, so I'd just like to mention a few other mergers and acquisitions real quickly. Over the weekend, we saw Laredo Petroleum of the Permian Basin announce over $1 billion worth of transactions, mainly revolving around acquiring the portfolio of an NCAP subsidiary. While we are down in that area of Texas, it is worth mentioning that Diamondback divested some of the recently acquired QEP assets to generate an additional $745 million. Like I said, last year we saw lots of mergers because people had no other choice. Mounting debts, decreasing reserves, and low oil prices are some pretty stressful topics. This year, however, we see companies with great balance sheets trading companies and assets because they are making strategic, big-money moves. And tell you what, it's merger season, baby, but this year, it's going to be a little bit more fun than the last. But that is all I've got for you today. Some big, hard-hitting headlines this week, and I tell you, I had a whole lot of fun. If you're looking to have some more fun, you can go find more than a year's worth of Monday Madness episodes on our website, rarepetro.com, along with many other podcasts that we continue to release week after week. If you want to stay on the cutting edge of research and news, be sure to subscribe to this podcast as we continue to deliver the information you need to know quickly. I mean, this turnaround is short. This stuff happened maybe this morning, and I told you about it. If you want to do some of your own research and cross-check our numbers, be sure to check out the useful links section on our homepage. In short, we've got lots of good content and research for you to enjoy, so stick around. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.